Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning again. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We are coming to a conclusion of this study of the book of John. Two weeks ago, we ended our our message with Chapter 19, verse 41, with Jesus in the garden tomb. Here's that verse. Now in the place where he was crucified, that's Golgotha, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now, the preparation day was the day to prepare for Passover. So they wanted to make sure that they killed these three, the two thieves and Jesus. And they wanted to get rid of them, get them off the cross before the Passover celebration that evening. And so it was the preparation day. The tomb was nearby Golgotha. Now, if this were like any other movie that you've seen, true life movie, it would end in chapter 19. The credits of the movie would start running on your screen and eventually you'd see the end and a black screen. But the greatest story ever told isn't like any other story ever told. No, when it seems like it's finished, this story is just getting started. This story doesn't have an ending. It has an eternal state of beginnings that every observer is left wrestling with and must, at some point, arrive at a conclusion as to what they believe. And not to come to a verdict is to come to a verdict. Not to decide is to decide against what the star of the story is offering. In the Gospels, we see both those who have accepted the facts as clear and convincing evidence, and we witness their faith awakened. And we see those who resist the evidence, usually through preconceived beliefs and influences from other people. And today, the things haven't changed. Don't listen to other people and what they believe and what they think and what they've analyzed because they probably haven't done any of those things. I regularly run into people that say, well, you know, I don't believe that. And I ask them, why not? And they say, well, you know, back in college, um, there was a professor that told me that God didn't exist. He had examined and read a bunch of books. He said he didn't believe God existed. Well, let me tell you, that's that's a poor way to plan your eternity, someone else's opinion on something. You should go and investigate yourself because this is for all the marbles and where you spend eternity is too important to miss and too important to put on somebody else. Every human being, you and I included, will decide if we believe that there is a God that exists outside of time, space, and matter. A God who created you and I to know Him intimately. Or, if we believe that we are merely a blob of random cells with random impulses on our way back to the quagmire from which we came out of. The reason John chapter 20 was written was so that we could believe that Jesus lives. 
that He was crucified and died for our sin, that He shed His blood in our place, our blood should have been shed. Our life should have been required from us. But Jesus steps into time, space, and matter as a human being and said, I will take this for you. It's a gift I offer to each one of you. And you must decide whether you believe and receive, as Scripture tells us, to become. Those who listen to the evidence and believe are forgiven of their sin. Jesus paid the debt and has provided eternal life with God in a place called heaven the new earth and the eternal presence of God in an eternal state of being that we will enjoy our Heavenly Father forevermore. Those who reject the evidence and disbelieve it as it's laid out in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are ultimately judged for their sin and sentenced to everlasting punishment in a place called hell, which was not created originally for humans, but rather for Satan and his demons. As we witness the response of Mary, Peter, and John that first Resurrection Sunday, we see their faith awakened as they take their first steps into a much larger world. Number one, we see a faith transformed. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday in the Jewish world. The first day of the week on, on our Sunday, uh, it's Sunday there as well, but they look at Sunday as their Monday. Everybody goes back to work on Sunday morning. Now the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. The author, John, likes to refer to himself that way. Okay, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid them. Mary Magdalene, along with other women who love their Lord, went to the tomb that Sunday in order to finish the burial wrapping, which Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had begun on Friday. Now they had to hurry, they had to rush through this. Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and, and Pilate says, yeah, go ahead. So they take Jesus down off the cross, and they carry, Joseph and Nicodemus carry him to this tomb that Nicodemus has purchased. And, and they laid him on this stone table that had been hewn out of the rocks. That was the custom of the day, if you could afford it. You would have this stone bed that they would put you in inside the tomb. And at one end, you know, is the, is the uh, end of that stone bed. And in the other end, there's about a 45-degree pillow-like, it's be stone, that would prop up the head of the deceased that was wrapped. So there Jesus is. The men had wrapped him hurriedly and and left him. It was Mary's intent now on Sunday morning along with some of the other women to go and add more wrappings of spice. Mary wants to give her Savior a proper burial. Her love for Jesus is, is almost unmatched. Mary arrived earlier than the rest of the others. Perhaps she had anticipated getting help from the Roman soldiers to roll back this stone that you know, likely weighed more than a ton. It's a solid stone that they would make. The stone was thrown away, I believe, by the large earthquake that took place when Jesus came back to life in that tomb. 
No doubt her heart was heavy and her eyes were swollen from the hours she had wept for her dearest friend. She had been shocked by what she found and now joined by the other women who had just arrived. She ran to the upper room in order to tell her friends, the two leaders of the band of 11 disciples, John and Peter. These women, Mary, Jesus's mother, Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had rescued from seven demons earlier in her life, and Mary of Clopas. Clopas is the husband. Uh, in all likelihood, this is Jesus's aunt. It was believed that Clopas is Jesus's uncle, actually. They were provided the awesome blessing of being the first to discover the empty tomb and become the first missionaries who delivered the news of the risen Savior. It was this group of women. Rabbis of the day had written these words, and I quote, It would be better for the words of the law of Moses to be burned rather than to be delivered by women. And they wonder why they were disliked. (laughs) But I love God's sense of humor because God chose not one woman, but a whole group of women to deliver this good news to these 11 disciples in the upper room. Mary's faith that early Sunday morning was indistinguishable, but it would not remain so for long, for by noon, it would be transformed into an ardent follower of Jesus Christ, and she is listed among the first ever believers of the risen Savior. Let's move on to verse 3. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I don't know why we need to know that, (laughs) other than the fact that John is a typical man. (laughs) He got a head start, and he, John, stooping down, looking in, saw, S-A-W, the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Peter, Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. I think he just shoved John to the side, went in and said, I beat you. And Peter saw, S-A-W, the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief, which is also translated face cloth, that had been around Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, just John referring to himself again, who came to the tomb first, went in also. So Peter blows by him and goes on inside, and then John enters. And John saw, S-A-W, and believed. For as yet they did not know. Now that word know can also be translated understand. They did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. John and Peter leave the scene, but Mary's still there. Upon reflection, both of these young men displayed bravery for even leaving the upper room. Uh, This could have easily have been a setup to round up Jesus' disciples and do the same thing to them that had happened to Jesus. These guys are all hiding out, and Mary says they've taken the body of Jesus. We don't know where it is. And these two, the leaders... Peter just flies out of the room. John follows him. Peter, the outgoing sanguine, bolted right into the burial room past John. Then John followed him inside. But what did they observe when they came in? We're told 
The Gospels reveal that the grave wrappings were still laying on the stone bed that I described earlier, and they were still in the shape of a body. The disciples must have gone in and stolen them. In this passage, we see the word saw, and I punched it out to you and spelled it for you three times. Why is that important? Because this time, this is the first time I've ever seen this. I've read this passage. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage. But this time, God kind of showed me something that was very interesting. S-A-W is used in all three of the saw in this story, as we just read. Our English language doesn't reveal the secret of these words here. Only the Greek does. The Greek word for saw is actually three different Greek words. A Greek would, would immediately recognize this as three different words. The first use of the word saw means to casually glance at. John got to the tomb first, and he casually glanced into the open tomb, and he saw the grave claws lying there. The second time saw is used, it means to carefully gaze at. So Peter blows by him and goes into the tomb. He carefully gazed at this cocoon laying there. And then the third time that it is used, it means to perceive, but with understanding. John follows Peter, and, and he saw the grave claws lying there and understood that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the words follow, and he believed. See, here's the problem. If you just casually glance at Jesus, you'll miss him. We can look at Jesus, but not notice him. Or we can put our faith in Jesus because we have read the Scriptures, perceived what they're telling us, and responded as John did with understanding. Careful not to just say, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. Be careful not to just gaze at the Scriptures and what they're telling us without responding. Be careful to believe and receive as John did. He understood. He perceived with understanding. And he believed. That moves you from being an unbeliever to a believer. These disciples' faith was not a blind faith. It was an intelligent faith based on the evidence that they had witnessed before their very eyes. We who live today cannot examine the grave claws or see the place where Jesus was once laid, but we have the truest witness, God's Word, on which we can believe. And in believing and receiving God's Word and the testimony of these eyewitnesses, God's grace is provided through His death, burial, and resurrection and we can believe that we serve a resurrected Savior. These disciples were having their faith awakened that morning for the first time, and it was transforming their lives. Now their faith would illuminate to others in their testimony of the risen Savior. Number one, we've seen a faith transformed. Then number two, we've seen a faith awakened through these two disciples. Now let's look at number three, where we see a faith illuminated. A faith, when you believe in something, it illuminates from you. Let's continue now in verse 11. This is Mary. And you remember now, the two other, Peter and John, have gone back to the upper room. 
they are still concerned about getting arrested. Uh, John believed, but it's a brand new belief and he's not really sure what to do with this at this point. So they go back into hiding. Mary's left standing there. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the, the other at the feet. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. It's no longer there. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid Him. She's looking for the body of Jesus, her friend, her Savior. That Someone's desecrated the tomb. I don't know who did this and I don't know where they put the body. And she's searching for it because she has to put it in a place of honor and she's going she's gonna to find it. Verse 14, Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, why did she turn around? Did, she, did Jesus make noise? He could have. Or did the angels that she's talking to suddenly stand at attention because the Lord God is there? <laughs> and did she turn around at that point to look at Jesus? Doesn't matter, but she turns and she realizes that there's someone there. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Does Jesus already know the answer to the, those two questions? Of course He does. She, supposing Him to be the gardener, said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and, and I will take Him away. Jesus said to her, Mary! There's an exclamation point on that. And she turned around and said, Rabboni! Which is to say, teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to, to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Jesus had never spoken like this to them. Now that your debt has been paid, I'm going home. I'm going to ascend to my Father. And oh, by the way, He's your Father if you believe and you receive. And I'm going to go to my God. And I, oh, by the way, He's your God as well if you have believed. And I, and I love this, just a little tidbit. I'll throw this in for free. I think it's in Mark where it says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, to a curious investigator, Peter is a disciple. Why did you single him out? I'd want to know this. I can only guess at this, but just hours before, Peter had just denied even knowing Jesus. And now, if the light's starting to come on and Jesus is alive, I'm too embarrassed to see him. I cannot be his disciple anymore because I've ruined everything. He said, I would do this and the, and the, and the rooster crowed three times. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a disciple anymore. Jesus says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. Pause now for just a moment to consider the emotional roller coaster of one Mary Magdalene. Talk about a roller coaster. She's been grieving the loss of her best friend, her Lord, 
and Savior who gave her life back to her and so much more after He cast out seven demons that were just terrorizing her. She didn't just like Jesus. No, she loved Jesus with all her soul. He provided her love, joy, purpose, friendship, and so much more. Jesus was her Rabboni. Mary Magdalene loved Him more deeply than she had ever loved anyone else in her life. Imagine the raw and overwhelming pain as she saw her friend who had been beaten within an inch of his life, almost unrecognizable. The blood just pouring out onto the steps next to Pilate as he struggles to just maintain an upright position. Imagine the tormenting mental pictures of Jesus suffering on the cross that would never leave her mind. Imagine the sleepless nights Friday night, Saturday night, and now it's Sunday morning. Now imagine the lonely walk from her home to the tomb where his body had been laid. When at last Mary is confronted by Jesus, she does not immediately recognize him. She thinks he might be the gardener. I think he concealed himself in order to tend to her deepest needs before the pending celebratory party that would happen. Jesus asked her two questions. Why was she weeping? And who was she looking for? He wants to draw out of her her two deepest needs, which is to be comforted in grief, that's why she's weeping, and to be reunited with her friend, if only in death. If I could just find his body, I, I, I'll put it somewhere in an honorable place. And doesn't that bring us comfort to know that Jesus both notices our tears and our need to be united with Him? All of a sudden, Jesus shouts her name, Mary! Now she immediately recognizes Jesus, pronounce her name, something she had undoubtedly heard Him do hundreds of times over the years of ministry. She's excited too. In fact, so excited that she falls to the feet of Jesus. Mary's faith isn't only transformed, it's not only been awakened, it's illuminating from her spirit because she knows her Savior lives just as He said He would. It's just coming out of her. Mary had tarried in the garden after her two male friends had left and because she had, she was given the most awesome experience that day. Not only did she get to see Jesus first, but she also got to meet two angels who were inside the tomb. The two heavenly visitors sat at the head and the feet, we read. Remember that? Of the stone bed where Jesus' body had been laid. This invokes another vision of two angels from the Old Testament. God was telling us about this day, and yet He cloaked it in different stories. Allow me to show you the rendering of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark represented the physical presence of God among men. They carried this thing. They weren't allowed to touch it or they would die immediately. So they put this in the tabernacle as they traveled through the wilderness, and then eventually it ended up in the temple in the Holy of Holies, which the high priest was only allowed to go in there once a year. And here's what would happen. The high priest would slaughter a perfect 
lamb and its blood would be spilt out. He would take a branch of hyssop and he would collect some of the blood in the branch and then he would very reverently prepare himself to walk into the Holy of Holies. And you see that little, where the angel's wings meet on that little area on top of the box. He would stick the branch in there and he would allow the blood to drop onto what is called the mercy seat where God gives us mercy for our sin, the Israelites before Jesus. This is how they atoned for their sin. Now picture what Mary is seeing this morning that we're talking about. Jesus was laid on this stone bed. His bloody body, they laid it there. And now there's two angels sitting at the feet and the head. It just blew my mind. I just pushed back from my desk and sat there speechless. Wow, you were, you were telling us this a thousand years before you even came. Jesus shouted from the cross his final words, tetelestai, which means it is finished. Paid in full, the way to the Father is now open to all who will receive Jesus. And that's what he was saying. The final blood has been shed. You won't need to kill any more lambs, for I am the Lamb of God, and I have come to take away the sins of the world. My blood has been shed. And here it is. You are forgiven if you will believe and receive and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You will live forever with Him in a place called heaven and you will spend eternity with Jesus. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ's followers through obedience to His Word.